Welcome to Hearness, Contemporary Art Practices for Connecting Body, Place and Space. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Breen-Lovett, and this month we have the absolute pleasure to speak to Duru Nanan. Duru Nanan is an Aboriginal arts and culture company. Duru Nanan is the Darug word for daughter and is a collaboration between father and daughter, Chris and Jessica Tobin. They are storytellers and artists from Katoomba in the Blue Mountains, Australia. They develop educational resources as well as Darug art and designs in the Blue Mountains community and Greater Sydney region. Duru Nanan and Hearness acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and we recognise the continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Thanks so much for agreeing to come to talk about Hearness. It's really fantastic because the painting that you did that's hanging in the Woodford Academy and the kind of the layers of history um, embedded in the landscape. And for me, that was really influential work in visually understanding this idea of the history of sight and place and how the stories are embedded in that. Well, well that, that painting we're talking about there, so that was, um, I do love the story of that was um, they were having an invitation for artists to come in, Aboriginal artists to come into schools to talk about the, the crossing and the commemoration of the crossing of the Blue Mountains and having to revisit it with um, more informed understandings and stuff. So we were going in sharing our stories and um, the kids were going to do an art response to it and they, um, one of the, the kids had done this beautiful concept of these three stick figures walking up uh, a hill and underneath were shelves of Aboriginal artefacts and images and it was sort of like they, they looked like shelves and so it looked like there was a storehouse of knowledge in the country that these people were obliviously walking over and, and not knowing and that tied in with the idea that the country holds our stories and I, I know that um, 
when Uncle Bob Randall was alive, he, he spent some time at Wentworth Falls. And he told us that if we could, uh, that the, the, the country holds our stories and the stories are still there. And if we want to sit down with the country and be still, that's where you get those stories. So that was quite inspiring to, um, I guess, do the work we're doing um, even at the art camp. Are you still, is that still running, the artist camp? Yeah, it's um, just quietly happening every month kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's a fellow, Ben, who lives in Mount Vic. Yeah, he's pretty much co-convenes it with me. So often it's just him and it's been him and me for the last month or so. Mm. Where it's, we're just host, um, holding the country um, open for people to come and sit down and connect with the country. And although we do a lot of talking there, um, I'm quite aware too, the, it's the, the non-talking too that, that um, where a lot of that connection with the country happens. It requires a bit of hearness and stillness. <laughs> Um, and is that something that is a, a formal practice at the artist camp or it's kind of like, do you kind of say, hey, we're all going to be quiet now and be with the landscape or does it just happen? Not like any but formal, yeah. to be honest. Like <laughs> I would say it's, um, like I guess, in those sort of, I guess, spaces to cre like creating that is like from what Dad's told me is like is creating a space that's open, like it's not, formal like I think that's the point and having a space that's you know dad's like I'm there every you know every first Saturday of every month first Saturday of, of every month and he's there <laughs> and so you know people wander in and it's not there's no expectation to be there it's it's I'm I'm there if you if you would like to join me you know we can have a yarn and have a coffee and it's the casualness of it, I think, allows people to connect to uh, being there more because uh, okay. they feel like they're not walking in on someone else's thing. It's like, this is for everyone. This is open and open, mm. you know, and it allows people to feel that comfortability that I think actually creates that connection with each other as well. So, Yeah, no, I, I think the, the reason it works really well at, at, out at camp is uh, for, for the reason I love going out at camp too like the built-in structures in towns and cities that we live in, they, um, they're very much um, offering someone else's interpretation of this world. You know, they've designed it, they're bang. And that can influence your thoughts and also your connection and your understandings and things. So to go out to camp where there's just the natural bush around you, and we try to keep it that way too, you know, we're not, we haven't got the teepee up there, but there's, we undenied about built structures and stuff like that to try and make the camp a, a, a thing, but it, it works out really well, like Jess was saying, to keep it very casual. So people, and I think when people are in that relaxed mode, that's when they're able to connect with the, the here-ness and the now-ness in the country. It's an extremely generous thing that you do by going there and just being there. Um, I understand that you also paint onto the trees. Is that something that the visitors do as well? We certainly invite them to do that. Um, I must admit that sometimes I, I, it, we just get lost in the talk and the conversation and sometimes the trees don't get their retouch and that sort of thing, but there's usually some paint on there. And, yeah, you're right. That That's such an easy way for people to uh, slip into the nowness of things and um, because... Yeah, once you get the flow and the, and the sweet part with the ochre painting too, like with the camp itself, there's no pressure. It doesn't matter if you get that wrong. You know, you wipe your finger on your tongue and 
clean that up and it's um and that allows people again to be in that relaxed mode and then they can get into that mode that artists love to get into often i think um when we're painting where it is a timelessness and uh i think if you're relaxed you've got the art there you're just enjoying the process that's when you're going to find that sweet spot and even in the video that we made the other day um we sort of really discussed afterwards you know whether we should be um in car like because we dad's sort of really passionate about not being an authority and being like this is what we do it's being up at camp it's kind of like the fact that it washes away is like super important to us because you kind of go up and there's some that are fading off and then there's some that have just been done the last week and then sort of you do your new fresh one so it's yeah it really releases you from that feeling of I kind of it's funny I just got an iPad and I've been learning digital drawing and I feel like the same freedom with that yeah, because you're be not using this yeah. material like you kind of go oh that it's got this cost on it and it's got this sort of value that I don't know those are hours that I've spent it working <laughs> so you know in those paint brushes and so um, I guess as a student that's sort of in my mind um, and then yeah but having a tree instead of a blank piece of paper it definitely gives you more sort of freedom and the colors just naturally go together <laughs> you don't have to really think about it much it just works sure. yeah yeah because I saw the was it the story of the Waratah video from 2014 oh, okay. that you recorded and that was obviously painting on the tree as well a beautiful painting where was that one thank you yeah that was um i did that with Brawongal um environment education center environmental education center out at sackville and they they've got a little spot out the back where they overlook the river there I'm, I'm really pleased i did that one too because yeah it was a nice rendition of that story on the tree and and a lot of people are coming and hearing that story because it's it's up on the net so mm. yeah i'm kind of okay with that one i've enjoyed um the in the nowness with um doing cultural discussions or presentations with people um actually the and and the it just changes the mode when you're just presenting i mean i, I do that sometimes my um, welcome to countries or something they're not a conversation with anyone either they're an address um, but even when you're doing an address there's a connection that you like to have and I I didn't appreciate that one until um, when I was doing those graduations at Macquarie um, a couple of years ago they decided they'll bring in the big screen at the back and I'm sitting there talking to the audience like I normally do and instead of getting the kind of responses back and forth this way Everyone's looking past me up at the screen. I'm getting no contact, no personal contact with anyone. It's odd though. It's really odd. And we've really, oh sorry, we've really been sort of discussing that a lot lately in regards to hearness. Yeah, I guess the, um, and what the themes that come through with a lot of those conversations that we have around that too is, um, I guess the, um, so with recorded stuff, um, that heinous is and that aliveness is take is removed from it really quickly i think there's a magic that happens in the in the now when you're talking with people people hear with um extra uh information at the time and when you record it's like with a photo you know you, sometimes you take a photo and it just doesn't say what was happening at that time 
And there were so many things happening at that time. And I think the, the danger with recording is that you lose a lot of that. And the concern, I suppose, is a bit that we might just keep operating because it's, it is very convenient, this um, operating over the, the airwaves like this and that. But that's why I do love the art camp. It, it, it will make sure that we, um, we don't forget that it's very much about being grounded with each other face-to-face with all those other things that we bring. I don't know. I think there's, I feel two ways about it. Like I totally understand the, the real connection to people and places and getting off these blimming <laughs> devices that we have, do you know? Um, but I also feel that through the podcast medium, there's a real sense of intimacy uh, that people can be in the place where they are with the headphones on, maybe in the garden or on the train or, and it almost, I think it can kind of ground you to where you are and be reflective, but also be in that other place. It's almost like the listening to the voice and the expressions, the breathing and everything. It kind of, um, I don't know, I feel like it has an intimacy. It's just one way of kind of coming back a little bit from the digital medium and using it. There, there probably is an intimacy. They do move you. And I think you're, you're right. You're actually not often listening to a podcast with a group of you. It's, it's you having that uh that interaction with that person mm. speaking like that. Yeah, you're right. So I think you're also forced to listen. I mean, you're not waiting to respond. You're not. Oh, so you're an active so, listener. Yeah. yeah. You're not wanting, needing to yeah. gather your thoughts to contribute. And yeah. Yeah. And I feel like maybe with having an indigenous perspective in a digital platform, it kind of like does give people the opportunity to just kind of not be sort of defensive or sort of, because I think it really hits a spot. It's with a lot of people and they, they feel deeply uncomfortable um, and kind of like don't know what to say. And um, yeah, I think it, like a podcast element, it removes that. The point you made earlier, actually, I hadn't thought about, uh, but the intimacy that, that um, technology can afford, I hadn't actually considered that. And, and I think you're dead right. Um, and like what Jessica was saying too, that the, you know, you're not, you're actually, if, if you're just in listening mode, and especially if it's not in front of somebody, you don't have to be on your best manners as in look interested or um, um and ah and uh-huh, uh-huh uh, kind of thing. And you get that opportunity to just do deep listening. So who'd have thought, eh? Stop the madness a little bit. Um, I, I've, and, and what's come up, is, and I, I've known this for, for a number of times, I'm not sure how it's related, but I, I know that's why it excites me. It's this, um, the being in the nowness as much as you can, because that's where, um, that's where you touch with eternity. That's where it all meets and it all matters. And we don't do that. We're often, as we talked about before, we're inclined to push ourselves into the future or the past, whatever. And um, there's great peace and in the, the nowness. And so when you, when you talked about uh, talking about that, I thought, oh, awesome, because that's our, well, that's my spiritual practice at the moment. It's trying to stay in the, in the nowness. Um, and uh, when we were talking, Jess and I, about that sort of stuff, I, I, know, I know that I've kind of um, uh, connected with that kind of thing with, uh, with what I do when I do public speaking speaking all the, all the cultural talks and that, particularly the cultural, well, actually all of it, um, because your um, being in the now like, removes your ego. Your ego is kind of made up of all your past stories and stuff. 
And when I'm talking or when I'm sharing what I consider to be important messages with people, um, that I've enjoyed the fact that that ego or that um, that's out, that's all out. I can't talk with people and still think about other things. So I'm actually in that nowness, even though I'm doing action and talking and that sort of thing. And, and I really enjoy it. And I, I notice it because I, I remember noticing it years ago when my life wasn't so great. I would uh, enjoy work because while I'm at work, most people work this out too. While I'm at work, while I'm talking, none of your dramas are, are happening. And you actually, are, you're allowed to arrive at your happy, natural, joyful self. <clears throat> And I noticed that because when things weren't going well, I'd be doing our work. We would be really ecstatic, love sharing, jazzing with people. They'd get on the bus, we'd wave them off. And then you'd sort of turn around and, oh, your life's there to deal with. <laughs> <coughs> and I, I learned to appreciate that being in the moment with that work that we do. Yeah. Is that, um, I guess that, idea of nowness and as a spiritual practice is that something that's from your from your cultural background or is that something that you feel has come in from somewhere else and how long have you been thinking about that quite a, a number of years but um at, at, for it to be like a, a featured focused practice probably about five or six um it doesn't uh it's not contradicted by the Aboriginal spirituality, but it's uh, it's one that I wouldn't uh, limit to just going, oh, that's an Aboriginal thing. I think actually the power of now, uh, I remember that opened uh, a lot of things for me and then um, other uh, books and, you know, Eastern philosophies and things like that have just um, made it really very present practice of mine. It just, yeah, it floods through everything, like I say. It's, it's, and, and like I say, it's a universal thing, I think, because like I say, I'm reading stuff from people from different cultures and it's the same stuff that uh, we're encouraged to do just with Aboriginal practice, I suppose. Um, I tend to think our ancestors were very much in the present, um, particularly when you're living, um, you know, food off the, off the land and that sort of thing. It's, um, yeah, yeah, we're not a calendar people. I just wanted to say um, about the power of now that the basically reading Eckhart's work um, in the New Earth. The I think it's the second. I actually haven't yeah. read the Power of Now. I haven't been able to get a copy of it. Oh wow, that's the poppy one. That one, bang. The the, the other one, bit heavier, a bit deeper. Yeah. More dry actually. Power of Now is thin, and yeah. a lot of people. Oh, okay. Mm. I'll have to read. I'll have to read it to hear you say that that book was influential to you as well. It's really fantastic. It feels like so full circle because that's really that re coming across his work really spurred me into okay, we need to talk about this and get people to talk about their practices. So mm. it was um it was that book in particular um Yamandira and I uh, connected closely on the Aboriginal fellow up here. Um, when we both, uh, and it wasn't something that uh, I think other Kuris would connect on, um, but when we both found that we were both moved by that book and practicing a similar non judgment of the world and that sort of thing, it was, um, yeah, it was very exhilarating.
And I think talking about non-judgment as well, what we actually need to start learning and that you're, you're helping people learn, um, which I think is fantastic. And it's from a very um, non-judgmental way, which makes people feel safe to ask the silly questions, you know, like. You're right about creating that safe space. That is so important with education, isn't it? You know, for people to take on something, they've got to, you've got to, you don't want all the defence filters all coming up. So I like working with children a lot too. I think you can get um, a lot of work done with people when they're younger. Like that. Yeah, because they haven't sort of constructed all of their ideas about it yet or they don't they feel can, that way. They can listen to dispossession yeah. without worrying about their portfolios. That they don't yeah. And just sort of encouraging that conversation. Like I feel like ultimately it's like we want people to talk about it. Like don't feel scared about Like uh, we were sort of discussing yesterday about the Rio Tinto mine blew up a 46,000 year old, you know, technically church, you know, for those people. And I say that because I don't think it's, I don't know. I just, I, I really went on ABC to see if it was on the front page and it wasn't, you know, it's like, I don't, um, dad, like one of the things that dad was telling me that he was working on before the Corona and stuff was taking, um, refugees or people that were new to Australia out into the bush because it was somewhere that they weren't comfortable with and I we were laughing about how in America it's like you know there's like you know sort of scary animals and things everywhere but making people feel comfortable in the bush is such an important thing as, as an Australian I think to do or just being in nature like and I think yeah what you were saying before about having more compassion with it. It's like, if people are there, they develop that relationship. They'll, they'll feel that, you know, they'll feel the same as they felt when Notre Dame was burning down, you know, like that it, it'll be an outcry because, you know, to us, it's just kind of like, how, how does that, how is that still happening? Like, how is that not yes. hitting the hearts yeah. of everyone? Because Notre Dame was you like know? an accident. Yeah. It's like a deliberate, oh, it's just, that, that big, yeah. That, yeah, that beautiful heritage thing you're all attached to. I'm going to blow the shit out yeah. of that. It's like burning <laughs> museums or books or whatever. It's like, how are we still doing that? Like, mm. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally agree. It's very heartbreaking. Um, I think it's something else that you did say that basically if we increase our connection, our understanding of our interconnectivity with the land, we're more likely to take care of it. Yeah. Which is, which is very much what I believe as well as I just wondered whether there were a kind of relationship between the connection to place and the social and political side of your work. Yeah, well, it, it certainly strengthens it <clears throat> for me because um, when you're looking at the world with the, through Aboriginal eyes in this country, for instance, it sort of turns it upside down and the, the, the police and the authorities aren't keeping you safe, they're actually keeping you off the land and just it's a weird um, way of living in the world. But I've, I've, I've begun to, to learn that that weirdness is just uh, people's agreements on the world and, it, um, and that the world is a constructed place and it, going out to bush regularly, out to camp, um, it's like breathing for me. So it stops the uh, constructed world being too real. And I think when people come out there too, they... they uh, I like to feel that they experience that too, that suddenly the trees and the fire and the, the birds and everything, that's the real world. And you're reminded of that. And then um, I can go back into the 
the town where I live and, and I feel comfortable in town, that sort of thing, but I can go in there with a little bit of um, a more uh, a truer perspective of things. I think if you just kept living in the town or city, you'd, you'd just believe the world's like that. And um, we're very fortunate in the mountains. We all remind ourselves we're only ever 10 minutes away from the bush. And um, so that should keep us on our spiritual um, truth a bit. Mm. And, and even um, in Sydney around Redfern and things, <clears throat> walking through the city and like how they've sort of locked all of the seats kind of thing. And um, it's something I've observed before about how there is not, like it's kind of weird to sit on the ground in the city kind of thing. It's like a real like, oh, are you okay? Or like, <laughs> what's going on? Are you, like, is something wrong kind of thing? Try to take a piss and, on the tree in the yeah. city, yes. <laughs> and there's no, yeah, it's kind of, it encourages movement. And I think that's what, like you literally have to keep going. Like I, I get like the pace of it all the time is funny because you're kind of sucked in and you got to keep going. And if you stop, people run in, literally run into the back yeah. of you. So like, it's funny creating those. And even my friends that work in, um, uh, what's it called? City design and things like that. Like finding out that, you know, most of our structures are literally made to be uncomfortable and that, so you can't lean against things or no that loitering. The, the, built, the seats are built so you can't lay down on them sort of thing. So it's like, you're not even, it's not even designed for you to be there. It's designed for you to kind of move and be somewhere else. So I think in regards to hearness, like being in the bush and things, it's like no one, there's no clock ticking. There's no, you know, time in that sense yeah. and there's no maintenance required too um there's a part of us and i think we're brought up like that to kind of uh need to feel productive to be worth something and sitting still is not productive so you don't get to sit still <clears throat> one thing that dad always like said to me i remember when i was really young that really existentially freaked me out was like you were explaining how sort of like with um, we talk about like a lot about land rights and about sort of the system that we've built not being for the people and dad was like oh yeah because Jess if you stop like you you'll lose everything like just if you if you just decide to sit still like your rent won't get paid the electricity will, won't turn on like the you know your car won't have any petrol with it and I was like <laughs> yeah. Like, and he was like, so stillness, like if you stay still here in contemporary society, like you'll end up it'll, in debt. it'll go, <laughs> like, you know, you'll be in big trouble. That's a consequence to stopping. And I was like, oh my, don't tell me that. <laughs> so it's funny. It's amazing, isn't it? Cause it's really true. But I think it's, um, I think it's a balance between the two, you know, going between the stillness and, and the busyness. Or going into the busyness with stillness inside. Yeah, and you can have movement, but because life <clears throat> is movement, but it's yeah. Tai Chi do that, don't they? It's like moving meditation. Love it. Yeah. Mm. Actually, can I tell you my favourite Tai Chi story now? Got off the train station, Parramatta. They're constructing those god awful buildings up there. A um, lot of construction going on. You have to move around all these boarded up areas, and there's jackhammers going off. It's noisy. It's just wrong. And you're walking through there, I got off the station, very busy, 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 busy. I walked past and there's the, um, the, the Chinese people doing the Tai Chi um, near the church there in the park. And I thought, oh, that's the go. Look, 
nice and relaxed. They were so relaxed that um, I noticed that one of them, it was a homeless fellow lying asleep on the pavement where they're doing their Tai Chi and they just kind of glide over him. <laughs> wow, that's good. That's very much in the now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and it wasn't, and it was in the, in the now. As in they were very aware of him because otherwise they would have stepped on him, but it didn't um, disturb their peace of what they were doing too. So I, I took a lesson from that. Um, and out at the art camp, um, I, I love that we, did, we, we didn't chase up um, making structures, to, you know, like we could have made the car park a little nice or, you know, the roads or... And if we had a building up there, we'd have to maintain that. And I love going out there with nothing to do. In yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think doing nothing is the most productive thing of all. <laughs> you know, because it's like you need to have that headspace to then go forward with a clear mind without kind of the shackles of what else is going on in your life. And the constructs, like you say, that kind of going into the bush away from the city strips away all those constructs and all those layers of complexity. And there's other layers of complexity in the bush, obviously, but it's not, it feels like it's not layered on layered on layered. You know, everything's obviously not processed and reprocessed and kind of churned around. And, um, and I think it's funny how, you know, the idea of bushwalking is is in common language you know everyone goes bushwalking mostly if you're lucky in the mountain but people don't talk about bush sitting you know is there a term for that no i like it though but you're right you, you don't hear of a, a bush sitting activity I, I think some of the the um the rangers or guides i've worked with they might incorporate that a little bit more and i love that they do that now they'll, they'll take time to get kids out there and right now just have a sit what do you hear what do you see that's one thing for me, you know, kind of um, my ancestry is Irish and English. I'm the first one born here in my family. Um, and I guess when we go back to Ireland and England, sitting in the, in the forest there, I'm not worried if a bull ant's going to come up and bite me on my bum. <laughs> do you know? <laughs> I can really kind of quite be present. So do you guys have any tips on how to sit in the Australian bush and not be worried about the creepy crawlies. Yeah. Long pants, is good. <laughs> jeans. I mean, I was wearing Adidas like lavender shoes the other day and that was not great when we've just had bushfires and yeah, having black shoes. So I was kind of like, how did I do that? Um, I think the casualness helps too. Yeah. You know, um, I used to, um, before I had more experience in flight, I used to look at people filmed in um, more remote areas and they're just flies clawing all up their face. And um, that uh, that can take you out of the here and there, you know, that comfortableness. Um, that actually has been one of the blessings of that teepee I got up there at the, at the camp. Because, it, uh, again, what we're after is, yeah, not I, I don't want people to sort of um, necessarily just feel more comfortable in the bush. It's in the world, you know, and um, you, the, the bush out there is the world. But because I do the two things, I don't just live in the bush the whole time. When I go out there, flies are a freaking issue for me, you know, or um, stuff like that, or the heat or um, the wind, you know, and um, what's been really useful is the, the teepee. The teepee is this little balance between you're still on the earth, but my God, flies don't like to go in the teepee. What a wonderful thing. The wind is kept out by the teepee. 
And and I I became aware too the teepee is very different from what our ancestors lived in, as in gunyas. Um, the teepee, when you go in the teepee, you close out the bush. You're not looking. You're not kind of in the bush too much. You're in your, another space yet again, and that's that space that is hits you with comfort. You know, um, well for me it does. So to have the wind not being a distraction, cold not being a distraction, the flies not being a distraction, I worked out, oh, I'm not here to communicate, to commune with the bush or the environment so much as myself. You know, if you're meditating and, you know, if a fly is coming up here, you know, some, I guess, more Buddhist Zen thought would be like, let it go, you know, this isn't mm. bothering you. <laughs> and then some of the mindfulness teaching I've been going to because I've been learning to become a mindfulness teacher, they kind of say it's fine to be annoyed by the fly. Just move your hand very slowly and move it away, <laughs> you know. So then you're not like, oh, or I, you know, or I shouldn't be move, I shouldn't be annoyed by this, but I really am. It's like, okay, I'm annoyed. Remove that annoyance. <laughs> it's just when they keep coming back. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering whether that, that Zen technique of um, the slap or the stick on the student might have been just the flies. it works (laughs) suddenly I'm enlightened and also yeah I think also once people get to know the bush it isn't all yeah bliss and wonderful walking through you know what I mean you do hurt yourself step on things or um and and that kind of thing actually does help you with the here and now a bit too because you can actually lose yourself in your own thoughts and that sort of thing I love that. Um, like I, I, I hit a nice meditation um, spot when I'm in front of the heater here at home. And so it's all just steady state. But I also miss a little bit too. Um, and I can't even, I haven't even found the words for it. But the um, I enjoy very much being ten, uh, attentive to the fire when I'm out there. So it will go down a bit and it'll get a bit cold and then you put a stick on and then it gets a bit warmer. And I've worked out that I quite like that um, variation in, in life too. So it's, uh, yeah, I suppose learning to be comfortable with those variations, I guess, is um, what we do when we're out at camp around the fire with the wind and all that sort of stuff anyway. Because I've got the teepee, but I've also, the art camp happens up in the open. Usually the teepee's there just if the wind's too, too distracting or the flies or the heat or the cold. Yeah. And again, the teepee's there in case the developers miss the tree, uh, miss the tree painting that we do so that they know that um, Aboriginal people are still using that place. Thank you. Don't blow it up. We hope you've enjoyed this very special conversation with Duru Nanan. References for the show, including details on the sacred Aboriginal site that was recently blown up by mining company Rio Tinto, can be found on our website, hearness.org. The website also includes details on the sound that was created for this podcast. This was made by Weizen Ho, supported by Blue Mountain City of the Arts. Weizen is a movement and sound performance divisor who created the Prelude and Coda signature sounds for Hearness. We shall leave you with this now to drift off into your own sense of Hearness your body, your place, and your space. Until next full moon, goodbye.